Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So, we're trying to streamline a little bit how we're doing, so we'll give you some directions at the end. So, how many of you guys heard that we are starting a stage remodel? How many of you know how big of a deal that is? Some of you are like, it's a big deal. Oh, it is a huge deal. Man, God is being so faithful, you know, in the provision of the church, and we couldn't do it without you guys. And we hope that you guys see our diligence in what we're doing, what we're renovating, what we're adding. But we just thank you guys so much for all that you do to contribute to the big picture. And, you know, I just believe that, you know, the best is yet to come in regards to what God wants to do in the life of Harvest Time Church. So today we are celebrating 33 years of church existence. 33 years. I've just been on one year leg of it as the pastor of this church. But I believe that everything that was built on on the fathers of the past and the pastors and the leaders of the past is going to be what catapults us forward in the future. We don't want to forget what was done and the labor and the work that was put into building this facility. What if I removed the whole building and we just had to sit on the dirt and we couldn't afford this great Thanksgiving meal? Would we still come? You're like, that's a good question. Maybe not. So we don't want to take for granted that, our, that, that we have chairs, that we have a building, that you know, our, our head is dry from the rain because there were people that sacrificed time and, and, and energy and resources to build what we now sit in today. So this morning, I don't want to take any more time. I want to, I want to invite first before Pastor Jim and Sharon Hardaway to come up. I want to introduce both of them to you. And then we're just going to release him to preach like he wants to preach in the house. So I've, I've encouraged Pastor Jim to share whatever is in his heart. I've released him to have the exact same authority that I have in this church, to speak forth the Word of God as boldly, as confidently as he wants to. And I just encourage you guys to have open ears and open hearts to receive what the Word of the Lord is going to uh, speak through him. Um, can you guys just stretch your hands out to him? We're just going to bless him, and we're just going to release him to do all that God has called him to. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, that, that you use willing people. And Father, I thank you for uh, Pastor Jim and Miss Sharon, God, that they have been willing vessels in your kingdom. So Father, this morning I count it a privilege to allow him just to, uh, to, to preach in this pulpit, to share his heart. And Father, I just empower him by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak effectively strategically. And Lord, I pray that you would give us ears and ears to hear and a heart to receive all that he says. Father, we just thank you that you would just provide everything that he has need of in his life, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Father, we just bless him and his family and everything that, that his hands touch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Turn this down just a little bit, if you would, please. Good morning. Hallelujah. Well, God is good. I just want to share with, uh, I, d- I don't know who this is for, but let me just share with you what the Lord is sharing with me. You, when you got up this morning, you felt a sense of 
that's different about coming to church today. Even though going to church is not an unusual thing for you in your past, but today there was an unction, there was a moving, there was a sensing inside of you to be in this place today. And God says, I put that there because I want to meet with you today. Now, I'm, I don't know who this is for, but somebody is receiving it. And I want to meet with you because I have a specific work to do in you today. I could not do it in days past because of the circumstances, but today is that day that I have set aside to meet with you individually and to do that work that I have desired to do. Now, if you know that's you, I want you just to stand up and make your way to the front because the Father wants to do a work in you today. Now, Father, Somebody come down here and stand behind these in case they might be overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Now, Father, you have spoken to the hearts of your children, and they have responded in faith and boldly taken this step. Now, do in them that which you called them forward to do today. I speak in your life clarity of mind. I bind confusion, distraction. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Fresh anointing. Fresh revelation. Thank you, Jesus. Now, don't you hinder that. You just let God do it. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Father, I'm just in agreement now with these that have come forward. And as you begin to work in them today, you'll bring it to completion. Their minds are clear. Their hearts are clear. Thank you, Father, for touching them in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there anybody here except for the Quins that were a part, Donald and Sarah, who else were a part of the original Harvest Time group. Anybody else was here from the beginning? 
I want you guys just to stand. You four people, just stand up. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Give my hand. Thank you, Lord. Donald came with us in the birthing of this church and uh, was our youth pastor and has gone and made me proud, I'm telling you. I love Donald and Sarah and what they have accomplished in the kingdom, Brenda and Gary and their faithfulness. I want to encourage you to be faithful to your church. I believe the local church is what God is going to use in the end time harvest. And I don't believe really that it's going to be mega. I believe it's going to be local, just like this, that's going to touch the lives of people. I've always been a local church fella. I believe in the local church, and I believe that God's going to use. I met recently with Pastor Noe, Pastor Bobby, Donald, and myself. And uh, I told them, I believe that Harvest Time Church has a unique calling and destiny, different from every church. And I, I said, if you try to make it like other churches, you're going to miss what God has for you. It's been different from the beginning. And, and that has nothing to do with me. All I was was a confused man putting one foot in front of the other, trying to stay up with what the people were doing. And... Uh, but you're a part of a legacy. You're a part of something that has great potential. Don't cheapen it by treating it lightly. Treasure it. Honor it. Support it. Be involved in it. Because it is here simply because men and women much like you gave themselves for this. I was thinking when Pastor was talking, we had three old wooden pews that were painted white, about 10 foot long. We had two stained pews without any kind of padding on it. We had an assortment of lawn chairs one old broken down recliner, and that was our seating. And that's where we started. The original building had been used as a jazzercise uh, building, and there was a huge purple lightning bolt down either side. And the entire back of the stage was mirrors. And for years, we had a banner hanging over that, not over that door, because that they had the ladies quickly made to cover up my backside while I was preaching, because you could see me from the front and the back. <laughs> but it's been a great journey, and I thank God for it. 
I struggled with trying to determine what to do, but I opted to not go into a great deal of history with a bunch of slides and pictures, even though I had some really cute ones of Elizabeth when she was a little toddler. I had a nice one of Donald and Sarah standing in front of the original stage. The original stage was right back over there. The worship center used to face this way. And there was a balcony across here. And there were classrooms along here, 20 by 20 foot classrooms. The building stopped here. This was the back. There was offices here. My office was upstairs. That was the beginning. It's quite a history. People have sacrificed. People risk their retirement to help us build this facility. So it's special to me. I, I, I am so excited about what you're doing. I'm glad you're remodeling the stage, whatever you're going to do to it. Uh, I want us to move forward. I'm going to take a few minutes this morning and you're going to be confronted with a truth that has the power to change your life. You're going to be confronted with a truth that has the power to change your life. God says that in this day and in this hour, I am moving people from location to location. And you may be one of those people that God is making changes in your life. Don't fight it. Be obedient. There's no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. I want you to think with me. I pray that I can get through this and hold my thoughts together. But I want you to think about three words. Information, inspiration, and revelation. Information affects your mind. Inspiration affects your heart. Revelation affects your life. Now follow me. Information can be learned. Inspiration can be felt. But revelation has to be received. I believe that God wants to reveal himself to his people in a new way. You can learn the Bible. You can learn how to pray. You can quote the scriptures. You can be moved by the Holy Ghost. But what God wants to do in your life is bring revelation that will change your life. Not because you've learned it, not because you've felt it, but because God did it. We'll talk more about that. Information wants you to think something. 
Inspiration wants you to feel something. Revelation wants you to be something. Can I say that you will never and I, you and I will never accomplish God's full purpose for our life without regular revelation by His Spirit. You can learn the Bible, you can memorize the Scriptures, you can be faithful to your church, you can be a good giver, but there's something that happens in a man's life, in a woman's life, when he knows or she knows that they have heard from heaven and hell itself can't take that away. You've got to get there. We are moving into a season in our life and in this world whereby church as it used to be will not suffice. You do not have enough of the word in you to stand firm without the revelation of God. You've got to have God at work in your life consistently. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not spiritual enough to make it happen. Revelation is what God wants to reveal to you about who He is and what He wants you to do. My goal this morning is that you will receive something that will affect your life and cause you to be all God wants you to be. See, I have a purpose. I have an agenda. I'm going somewhere. I'm trying to make something happen in your life. I don't want you to leave the same way you came. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know him before you leave. If you're not walking in obedience, I want you to be walking in obedience when you leave. If you don't understand the plan of God for your life, I want you to understand the plan of God. There's a purpose in being here today. There's no need of us wasting our time being here unless God does something in us to do something through us. We must do it. There's a teaching a doctrine, a philosophy that is now being taught in many churches that contains enough truth when properly understood to bless the kingdom of God. But when misunderstood, it will condemn a person to a devil's hell and a life of hell till they get there. Now that's being taught in churches. No, it's not the doctrine of demons. It's not the doctrine of devils. It is a well-meaning, well-put intent. But if it's misunderstood, as it is in many, many places and in many, many hearts, I am fearful of what the future holds. This teaching, this ideology that I'm talking about is much like the entitlement thing that all of us know about. Basically, the entitlement idea believes that because I am, because I exist, then I'm entitled to certain things. Regardless of my effort to attain because I exist, then I'm entitled to have it. Often we hear the idea connected to things like free health care. Tuition, free college, free housing, wealth distribution. 
It's the idea that a person deserves something just because they're alive, just because they're breathing air. And that entitlement, that ideology has snuck into the church. Let me tell you how it works. This is how it works in the church. God is love. God loves me. Jesus died for my sin. His death paid the price for my sin. I cannot do anything to earn my salvation. So because I can do nothing to earn my eternal salvation, then whatever I do really doesn't matter. Then I'm not responsible. Jesus has done it all. Now most of that is all true. Most of that is all true. Even though God loves us, it does not change regardless of what we do. God's love for you doesn't change because you misbehave. God's love for you is consistent. It's His character. It's His nature. It's who He is. God is love. He's for you. He wants the best for you. He desires that you be saved. He desires that you be healed. He desires that your needs be met. That's the kind of God He is. And you cannot do anything to be saved. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't get it any other way but receive it as a gift from Him. All that's true. But you see, the problem is this. When I equate God's love for me and the fact that Jesus died for all of my sins and paid the price for all men, when I begin to use that as an excuse to live an ungodly life, an anti-Christ life, an unbiblical life, then I have bought into a lie. Because you see, the fact that God loves you, Jesus paid it all, does not in any way diminish your responsibility before a holy God. You have a responsibility before God because He loves you. You don't do good to get loved. He loves you. But you live life right because He loves you. And that lie is stealing our testimony. Put that Romans 10, 9 and 10 up there if you would. Now, how many of you understand that there is nothing you can do to be saved. Is that the truth? Is there anything that you're responsible to do to receive God's gift of salvation? What does the Bible say? See, let's look at it. He said, if you desire, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Give us verse 10. For with it, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I hate the King James Version. Excuse me. I'm sorry. The, uh, <clears throat> the Bible clearly says 
that salvation is a result of something you do. It says if you don't confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord, and you do not believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you cannot be saved. So is there something that I have to do to be saved? Sure. See, but the lie would be this, that because God loves me, then he excuses my lifestyle. Because God loves me, he's okay with anything I do. Because Jesus' blood cleansed all man from sin, then my sin really don't matter. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a lie. You need to read the Bible. The Bible says that we are, as his children, to live according to his dictates. That there is a responsibility that I have to the Father because he loves me. That my life needs to reflect his love for me in my walk. And apart from that, ladies and gentlemen, no, no, I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. I'm not saying that. God help us. None of us are perfect. But to excuse, to, uh, to excuse away ungodly living puts that soul in jeopardy as far as I'm concerned. Now you say, why are you talking about that on anniversary Sunday? Because it's burning in my heart. I believe that it's stealing away from the body of Christ. I believe that there are men and women, boys and girls, just like you that are being led astray by some fairy tale that believes that they can go to heaven and live like hell. If any man be in Christ, my Bible says, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If there's not a change in your life, I seriously doubt that you have ever met Jesus. You say, well, that, that's not fair to say that. that. Who are you to judge me? No, 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 no. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just simply trying to raise some awareness that according to the Word of God, there says it ought to be changed. Well, let's look at the Scripture. Give me that John 5. Could you put it in New American Standard or, or something? Do you have that up there? You say, what is it you don't like about the NIV? I don't like the NIV because I don't like the way it reads. I don't like some of the words that's left out. But you can say that of any translation. If you're an NIV fan, don't take it to heart. Better you read the NIV than nothing. But, you know, I just feel like that, that we have an enemy church and he's doing every single thing he can to sidetrack your destination of heaven. And if he can get you to believe something that is not true because it sounds good, because it's appealing to your flesh, he'll do that. We need an anchor. We need a, a, something that's solid. Listen, it's not because I think that's the way it is. I feel that's the way it is. No, it's, listen, God is not in that, let's make a deal. 
God says this is the deal. That's just the way God is. That, I mean, that, he can be that way because that's who God is. He's God. He, he's not up for uh, negotiation. He, he's not up to, to bargain with you. He, he, he loves you, but, but, but he's not going to compromise who he is just to get you on his team. He doesn't do that. And you need to know that, and I need to know that, and we need to live in that, and we need to walk in that. Not that there's condemnation because there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm talking about having a consciousness of who God is, that he's aware of. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. I'm going to read this if I could. Y'all just listen and follow along with that. I'm going to read this out of my uh, New American Standard. <clears throat> After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, <clears throat> and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, most likely the Passover. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porticos or porches, covered porches. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred up the waters. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. And he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Now I want to read the rest of this just for clarity. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not permitted for you to carry your pallet. But he answered, them and said, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple, this verse 14, and said to him, behold... You have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Can, can I read that again? Behold, look, take note of. You have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, 
because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now, let's quickly run through this. I, I want you to notice these things. First of all, I want you to notice the man. Here's how the man was described. He was a sick man, 38 years ill. He could not walk, verse 7 says, because he could not wake his, make his way to the pool because somebody had to put him in it. Now, let me say this right here. There is no way to substantiate that in any way this was God's pre-described way of healing. This pool and the moving of the water is nowhere substantiated in the Word. This was what the man believed. This is what they thought happened. This is what they believed would happen when they got in the water because they had seen it before. So notice the environment now. The, it was by the sheep gate. Do you know what sheep do? Not only did sheep come in there, but cattle come in there. You know what cattle do? This wasn't church. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to help you to understand something. This man was in dire straits. This man was in an environment that was not clean and well kept. It, it says, when you look at that word multitude, it, it means filled up. This was a building with a porch, most likely all the way around it. There were five awnings around this building. Porches like out front that you drive under. It was packed full, their description, sick, lame, crippled, infirmed. It was not the emergency room at the hospital. It was a place full of sick, rotting people. Get it in your mind. They had no Medicare. They had no Medicaid. People got sick and they died. People got leprosy. It just ate them up. If their bones began to wither and crack and get brittle, they just got withered and cracked and brittle. These were filled with people who had a need. Now notice this. Here's the question, verse 6. Do you want to get well? Now that's a simple yes or no answer, ladies. Gentlemen, do you want to get well? Yes or no? Notice what he said. Sir, I have no one to take me into the water, and while I'm getting there, somebody beats me. 
Was that an answer or was that an excuse? See, Jesus didn't ask, why aren't you healed? Because the answer he gave was to that question. He gave the answer to why, don't, why aren't you healed? The reason I'm not healed, Jesus, is because nobody can take me to the water quick enough. That's not the question Jesus answered. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, in this society, that is exactly the way we answer God's question to us. We give reason why we haven't done it instead of simply answer yes or no. We're in good company. Moses did the same thing. Moses, come on, I want you to lead my children out of bondage. Oh, not me. No, 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 I don't talk good. Are you seeing what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen? I'm simply saying that what we need is not instruction by itself. It's not, it, it, it's not, getting, it's not getting emotion. It, it's, it, it is getting a revelation. It's, it's knowing what God wants you to do. It's knowing where God wants you to be. It's a knowing. Now, look at the next verse. The next verse says this. The next verse says, verse 8, Jesus said, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Now, let me say this. He had information that healing was real. Real. Did he not? Did he not know that in the past there were people that got in the water first and they were healed? He, he knew the knowledge. You see, inspiration, he had seen it happen. In other words, his heart had been moved when that fellow had been laying over there next to him, got in the water first and he got out healed. He knew in his head... Healing was there. He knew in his heart he desired to be healed. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't until he had the revelation of the spoken word of God that healing came to his body. He lacked the revelation, one, that it was for him. It was not the water, and it required a response from him. What's my point this morning? What I'm trying to say is this. I believe that one thing that's hindering the body of Christ from becoming what we're going to have to be in the end days, not a lack of knowledge, not a lack of desire, it is a lack of revelation that God wants me involved. If somebody's going to do it, I need to do it. If somebody's going to step up, I need to step up. If somebody's going to pay the price, I need to pay the price. See, and that doesn't happen. Listen, you know, I, I've been at this a while. When, you know, you can make the people in a congregation aware of a need. The knowledge of the need does not make them respond. 
I can show you little pictures of, of little babies with flies in their mouth and in their ears and crawling in their nose, and, and I can plead to you to get you to, to, to give to feed the children. That touches your heart. But you see what happens, what changes a man's life, what changes a woman's life, when the Spirit of God, when Jesus said, take up your bed and walk, something happened in that man at that instant, something that was greater than the knowledge of God's healing, something that was greater than the desire of God's healing, something went off inside of that man that motivated that 38-year cripple to jump up grab his bed, and get out of town. That's what I'm saying. That's what we need. That's what I need. God knows I need that in my life worse today than I ever have. And I'm 77 years old, guys. These have been the worst, most difficult six months of my life. I don't mind sharing that. But you see, the thing is, I know a lot about God. I've seen a lot of people's lives changed. I've seen people make sacrifices. But you see, when God says, I want you to do it. I want you to stop. I want you to start. See, the difference is, 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 is something happens when revelation comes. Something happens when we know it's true. See, most of us respond like Baptists when the pastor says speaking in tongues is biblical. We act like Baptist people. You know, I remember as a, as a Baptist preacher when I first began to, to learn about the things of the Holy Spirit and this whole talking in tongues thing was a, a tough to me. You know what I did at first? I just dismissed it because of my mindset. You know what snared me? on spiritual giftings, especially speaking in tongues, was the Word of God. I was sitting there reading one time. I clearly remember it, reading out of 1 Corinthians. And the revelation came. <laughs> I had the knowledge. I could quote the Scriptures. But I want you to know when the revelation of God, the light of God showed up on that thing, it changed my life. And I'm here to tell you, speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift that God has given to the body of Christ and shame on us if we don't utilize it. Here's number one takeaway. God is looking for an answer, not an excuse. Next time he asks us to do something, let's don't make an excuse. God's not looking for an excuse. He's not looking why we can't do it. He's saying, this is the deal. I want you to do it. But I can't afford it. But I'm not educated enough. But I don't, uh, how do I do? Uh, you see what? No, 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 no. He's not looking for that. He's looking for Yes. Because you see, here's what I've learned. God will support your answer, but never your excuse. <laughs> he'll always support your answer. Even if you decide, no, I don't want to, he'll support you in that. Now, the consequences may dictate something different, but he'll give you the right to choose no. Listen to me. If you're here today and you're not saved, 
you have never given your heart and life to Jesus, and you sit there stubbornly and you say, I'm not going to do it. There's hypocrites in the church. Whatever excuse you have why you don't do what you know God wants you to do, God's going to honor that decision. He doesn't stop loving you. He doesn't neglect you. He doesn't quit calling you, but he respects your decision not to receive Jesus, his gift. He respects you in that. But he can't govern the consequences because of that. See, it, it's your choice. See, a part of that deception that I believe in the church is this, that, that it's all up to God. And you know, we can sit here until hell freezes over, waiting on God to do what God's called us to do. Well, God will take care of it. God will take... Go, go back and study your Bible. Most of the time when God got ready to do something, he got him a man or a woman. When he got ready to deliver the people out of the bondage of Egypt, what did he do? He got him a man. When he got ready to provide for his children during the seven years of famine, he got him a man. When he got ready to announce the resurrection at the tomb, he got him a woman. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? God uses us. And us not willing to do what he calls us to do hinders the kingdom. Just the way it is. Just the way it is. Now let's look at something. I'm going to take a little liberty with the scripture. Quickly, I'm going through this. I have here in my notes, steps to recognize receiving and maintaining your revelation. Is there something I can do to enhance my ability to receive revelation? Think with me for a moment. Jesus comes along. Here's this man laying amongst all of these diseased and infirmed people. He picks out one, his eyes fall on him, their eyes make contact, and he says, do you want to get well? To which I would suppose that he was saying, do you want to get well, expecting a response from the sick man of, oh no, it's not a big deal. I just come down here every day just to hang out with my friends. No, 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 no. He came down there every day because... He wanted to get healed. But instead of that response, he got, well, you know, there's just nobody putting me in the water. It's somebody else's fault. If I had somebody was here all the time, I'd get in there first. And sounds just like us. Sounds just like us when we begin to make excuses. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus didn't even acknowledge what he said. He didn't say, well, if that's the way you want it, just lay there and be sick, die, go to hell. Uh, you know, well, I thought you'd have a better answer than that. Surely, you know what he said? He didn't say a thing. He knew the man had the knowledge. He knew the man had the, 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 the heart, the desire. And so he told him, he sidestepped and he said, get him walk. See, I believe with all my heart in that instant, 
something happened in that man. Something that all the knowing wouldn't fix, all the illumination wouldn't fix, all the feeling wouldn't fix, all the emotion wouldn't fix, but something happened inside of that man when Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Boom. Something motivated the man to get up on whatever was his problem. Boom. See, an excuse keeps, hinders God doing his purpose in us. So the first thing he said was this, shut up. Now I'm taking a little liberty with the scripture. I understand it doesn't say in the scripture they said shut up. But he, in, in, in my mind, he simply did not acknowledge, so he was simply saying, I don't want to hear that. I want you to get up and walk. That's my desire for your life. You see, what happens is, listen to Matthew 12, 36. But I say to you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words... You shall be justified, and by your words, you shall be condemned. You know what he told the Pharisees? We're going to judge them, the Scriptures. See, how you feel, how I feel, how I think, how you think is not going to hold water. It's what does God say. I believe... I believe we talk too much. I honestly believe that. We talk too much. Because when you're talking, you're not listening. When you're not listening, you can't hear. When you can't hear, you can't obey. You ever been in the grocery store? Ever been in Walmart? Somebody on the telephone when you walk in, 45 minutes later when you walk out, Every time you've seen them, they've been on the telephone. You know why they play loud music in most stores? Keep you from thinking about what you're doing. See, we need to kind of zone out and hear what God's saying. This is what he secondly, he said, shut up, listen up. Most of us don't listen to learn. See, some of you have been sitting here listening to me this morning and you've been formulating your why you don't agree with what I'm saying. You had not heard a word I've said other than to formulate how I'm wrong. Most of us do that. Most of us are, are so poor at our conversations that we're only listening and all the time we're listening, we're thinking about how we're going to answer instead of actually listening. So if you want to have a revelation, God, you need to shut up, you need to listen up, you need to get up. Revelation requires response. Revelation brings responsibility. We must do something with what we have been shown. We must say something, do something, go somewhere, start something, stop something. Revelation always has purpose. See, the reason God's trying to get revelation in us is so that we can do something, so we can be something. So we'll know where to go and what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Something Sharon and I pray all the time. Lord, put us in the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing. Because it is vitally important that we hear him and obey. 
Then he says, take up. Revelation demands we take ownership of our circumstances, past as well as present. I'd say quit making excuses. Well, you know, I would be a tither. I would obey the scripture if, um, if I just made more money. That's an excuse. Word of God clearly says it is our responsibility to be a cheerful giver. Just the way it is. The mat was a reminder of what and where he had been delivered from. The mat was his testimony. It was the end of that part of his life. He had lost his place in line into the pool and not going back. And then the last thing was walk out. Now this is hard. I know this is hard. Revelation is going to drive you away from some people and it's going to drive some people away from you. I really think the Mr. Nice Guy that the Christian has been portrayed as is quickly coming to an end. I think we're going to begin to be known as men and women of conviction. That we're not ashamed of what we believe. We're not ashamed about who we believe. It's God in us. I believe that. I believe that's what it's going to take in the new society that we're living in. I have preached for a number of years. We better learn how to believe God for our healing because there's coming a time when medical attention is going to come, become so expensive that we cannot afford it. Many of you are in that place right now. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, we need to get a revelation of what God's trying to do in his people. Three things we'll close. What hinders revelation mindset? Got my mind made up. It's the way it is. Don't confuse me with facts. Mindset. Our understanding of everything we have experienced in life or what we think we've experienced. One of the hardest things to overcome to enjoy the abundance that God has for his children is a poverty spirit. One of the most difficult things to overcome to understand the sonship of God is an orphan spirit. And the church is filled with that. You heard Gilbert say this morning about the, uh, about the uh, veterans. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. We kill babies by the thousands and starve veterans by the hundreds. What's wrong with that picture? Our seniors can't even afford their medicine and yet we waste thousands on something that is going to be extinct. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we need to get the mindset of God. We need to understand that man is an important part of what God wants to do. That, that we are the crown of creation. Past events. I don't want to be hurt again. Don't want to trust again. Don't want to get hurt again. Environment. We are influenced 
by everything we experience in life. You are who you are because of what you've walked through in your life. That's it, bottom line. You are who you are because of what you've experienced in this life. You believe what you believe because of what you've been taught and experienced in this life. Here's takeaway number two, we're close. Remember this, you have a choice, but every choice has a consequence. I know we'd like to blame it on God. Nothing would make me happier than just say, well, it's God's fault. Well, if God wanted it better, he'd have made it better. Well, if God had wanted her healed, she'd have been healed. Well, if God had wanted to not been repossessed, it wouldn't have been, you know, God's will's always done. No, it's not. <laughs> you can't substantiate that biblically. Why? Because there's always the factor of man's choice. Joshua said it well when he was talking to the people of Israel. He said, if God be God, serve him. If God be God, serve him. He said, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Choose you this day, he said, whom you will serve. If God be God, serve him. So that's my whole point. That's what I'm trying to say. Back in February, when I stepped down from my uh, associate pastor's job at, at Turning Point, change always brings out the poet in me for some reason. I, I'm not, I don't understand why that is, but it seems like most experiences. And so during that season of six weeks, there were about a half a dozen or more poems that he gave me. And this one's called His Call. There comes a time in each one's life when they must make a choice to play it safe or go for broke what others say ignore for God's good call upon a life is not an idle matter he calls for us to leave the crowd and after him to follow and I pray that today that all of us would make a resolve. God, I want you to show yourself to me mighty. I want to walk in obedience to your will. That I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Whatever the cost. Because you see, here is the truth in that. It's never a loss when God calls you to do it. It's always a step in the right direction. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, and by that I simply mean you have never asked Him to be your Lord and Savior. You have never confessed your sins, sincerely confessed your sins with an intent to change then I invite you today to do that. It's not hard. He did pay the price. Jesus' blood covered every single sin from the first to the very last. 
And everything that you and I have ever done that was contrary to the will and the purpose and the plan of God was bought and paid for at that instant. And you today can become a child of God. And with all the benefits, and there's thousands of benefits. I've not found anything that this world has to offer that would compare at all to what God has done in our life. This world has no hold on me. There's nothing it has for me to drink, smoke, ingest. There, there's nothing there that compares to what I know is the reality of serving God. And I recommend him to you today. If you don't know Jesus, your prayer today ought to be, Lord God, forgive me of my sins. I commit my life to you. Come and live inside of me by the Holy Ghost. As Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, I confess with my mouth, Jesus, you're my Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. For with a confession, wow, there's the result. Let me ask you this. Do you know him? Not, not do you know him in your head. Not, not do you know him just in your heart, but do you know him by revelation? Has he revealed himself to you? To where this day you can say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. If you can't do that, I'd like to lead you in that prayer this morning. If you'd like to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, if you'd like to commit your life to him, I want you to do something bold. I want you to stand up right where you are. You're not joining this church. You're not promising to be better. You're saying, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Now the rest of us, if you're willing to let Jesus reveal himself to you, I want you to do like this. Amen. Because he's about to say to you, take up your bed and walk. He's about to say to you, this is what I've been waiting on. That you had come to know me as provider, healer, Lord of your life. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.